Welcome to Mac Geek Gab 934 for Monday, June 27th, 2022. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where we answer your questions, we share your tips, we share your cool stuff found, all the stuff that you send in to us. And if you want to send stuff into us, feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where you're going to do that. And the goal is by, by taking all of these things, our questions, your questions, our answers, your answers, your tips, your cool stuff found, we mash them all together into an agenda with the goal being that each and every one of us learns one, two, three, four, five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Otherworld Computing and their new Mini Stack STX, the Thunderbolt 4 hub that you want for your Mac Mini. And then we're also going to talk about one of my other podcasts, Small Business Show here at businessshow.co. So uh, we will talk more about those in depth in a few minutes for now here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John O'Brien. And here in L.A., sometimes referred to as Lower Alabama, Pensacola, Florida, <laughs> Pilot Pete. L.A. on Eastern Daylight Time. Pilot there Pete. You shared with us a quick tip in the pre-show that immediately made it to top billing. Would you please share that with us again? If you insist, sir. Yes, I will. So I, uh, the, the backstory behind it is I found myself having to replace my modem and my router uh, when I got to our place in Pensacola. I don't know if they were hit by lightning or what, but I was having really cruddy service on my 2.4 gigahertz band off my router, and I'm going, Ugh. What are the apps that we use to scan and figure out what's best, what's not best? And I stumbled across this really cool thing that's built into the OS, the Mac OS. So on your little uh, Wi-Fi uh, pie-shaped, quarter pie-shaped uh, symbol up in your menu bar, hold down the option key and then click on that Wi-Fi symbol. And then click on Open Wireless Diagnostics. And you get that little help wizard that comes up. Ignore that wizard. Instead, go to the top left and you'll see the menu bar. And one of the words up there is window. Click on window and it'll a drop down will come up. And among other things, it'll have the assistant, which you're already looking at. Info, log, scan, performance, sniffer, sidecar, diagnostics, monitor, yada, yada, yada. Click on scan. And scan will tell you all about the networks all around you. And it'll tell you which channel is best to be on for, for your, which channel to set your router to for the best 2.4 gigahertz and five gigahertz channel. Yeah. This is the amazing part, right? So it shows you everything. And then, yeah, on the left here, will give you a, uh, uh, you know, it, it yeah, it, the, the best 2.4 gigahertz channel, the best five gigahertz channel. It takes a minute for those last two items to show up because it's doing its scan. Right. This is amazing. Now, this is a what I'll call a myopic view of things. It is not the best channel for your entire house. It is the best channel for that Mac in that location, knowing nothing else about what's going on. So if you're if you're going to use this, you know, do it on a laptop if you can and bounce around your house, rerunning this in a few different places so that you can 
truly get a feel for, okay, yeah, that, you know, what it's telling me, uh, you know, it tells me channel 11 in one place and channel six in three places. So I'm going to go with six on 2.4, you know, that, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah. but that what? it's built into the operating systems even better, right? How have we not known about this before? Like you, you didn't find this by Googling. You found this by sniffing. Is that right? I was just, I was just, yeah, I was just putzing with the, uh, with the thing. And you know, we always say, Hey, hit the option key and see what comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've known about this though. Like the wireless diagnostics, the, the trick of you going to the window menu and finding, uh, you know, and there's tons of things there. Assistant info logs scan, which is the thing we're talking about. Performance sniffer sidecar diagnostics monitor yeah i don't know yeah. man i like i don't know how we've missed this for all these years but i yeah, sure even a blind squirrel as i always say hey man oh, i won't finish that <laughs> thank you appreciate it yeah that's pilot's lingo folks pilot's lingo yes Twice it's a day. amazing 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 thank you for sharing that good stuff that's assuming that you can set a channel on your wireless fair point Many mesh systems do not give you that option. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. No, they don't. Yeah. yeah. I can on my router, so, I, you know, right, you right. set it on your router. Yeah, and some meshes will let you yeah. do it. I think Orbi okay. will. I think Eero will not, if memory serves. Right, John? I have not found a way to set the channel on Eero. Yeah, and I don't think you can on Plume either. That said, I found them to do a pretty good job at figuring out which is the best channel. I mean, they, you know, the idea is you've got these mesh points all over your house. They probably have already done this for you and you don't need to run around and do things. So, yeah, they they know stuff, which is good. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I like it. All right. Uh, thank you, Pete. I appreciate that. Larry tells us another one. He says, uh, I learned about this trick just today. Like many of you, I'm sure I schedule my whole life with calendar. And if it was not written down, I would just be sitting at home staring at the wall. Case in point, he says I had to create a calendar event to remind me to write you folks this email. When my van is in. Uh oh, I think Pete, you just cut me out, man. <laughs> uh, he says, uh, when my van is in the shop, I utilize the paratransit service here in Orange County, California. And when I make an advance request with them one to three days in advance, they check their availability and tell me the time. But because they have to accommodate everyone, they give me times down to the exact minute that their pickup window will begin. Uh, it says this means that sometimes they will tell me we will book you up at 10, 12 a.m., Calendar only likes to offer options in five-minute increments unless you long press the minutes in calendar on your iPhone, and then you get a 10 keypad where you can enter the exact time with whatever you want. This is now, if only they could allow me to add more than two reminders, give me more options, etc., etc. He says I would actually use Apple's calendar. He says instead I use Fantastical, and that's the reason I use BusyCal. So, yeah. It looks like we've got noise outside everywhere today, John. I think Pete and I are are uh, we're we're upping our game to match your outdoor noises today. But uh, you know, makes makes it fun. So, yeah. Any thoughts on that? Have you used that, John? Um, on occasion, yes. Okay. Or usually, I schedule it on the Mac, which lets you type in yeah anything directly. But yeah, the iOS interface is. Uh, 
less forgiving. Yeah, I I had I, I don't know that I ever knew about the long press thing. So pretty cool. Um we've talked a lot about eSIMs and international data and all of that good stuff. I have found in many cases, when you buy a data-only eSIM, especially a prepaid one, which is what most of us are going to wind up doing, you know, we go to eSIMDB, we figure out our plan, we get the QR code, we add the, we buy it, of course, you get the QR code, you add it to your phone, and in uh, in quite, a, I don't want to say many places, but certainly in quite a few places, we found that the data might still not work. We are all super trained, correctly to be very wary of enabling the data roaming option on our default plans. Because if you do wind up roaming, depending on what your, you know, your plan with your post post paid carrier is, uh, you may wind up finding yourself with lots and lots of surprise charges at the end of the month. So we generally leave data roaming off on your prepaid plans, especially these international ones where you're, you know, buying a plan that works in multiple countries Feel free, as we have found, to turn data roaming on because that is often what's required on these prepaid plans to get it to work in specific countries. Like when we were traveling through Greece, I think we were fine in Greece with whatever plan we were on. And then when we got to, I want to say Croatia, it, it didn't work. And, uh, and, we were like, oh, what's going on? Like, and we looked at the list, like, nope, this is on the list. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. We've already paid them a flat rate. Like, they have no way of charging us. Let's turn on data roaming, see what happens. Boom. Sure enough, everything was fine. So I, I would say with, with those prepaid plans, uh, turn on data roaming. You know, if it's a data-only plan that you're buying for a fixed amount of data for a fixed period of time, just, just turn on the data roaming, and then you won't have to worry about it. So, yep. The corollary to that is to turn off data roaming. If you're just on your regular phone and you're over there and you want to use the phone, turn off your data roaming unless you do want an outrageous bill. That's right. Yeah. Or turn off data altogether. I mean, that's the beauty of the dual SIM in the iPhone is, right. uh, you know, you get to pick which SIM is going to be used for phone calls and which SIM is going to be used for data. And and you can tell it, OK, you know, use my primary SIM for phone calls and SMS because my you know, my, my data only SIM doesn't even have those features and then use my data only SIM for data. And the iPhone makes it super easy. There is a, a, a toggle in there where you can turn on automatic data switching or something. I, 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 I can't remember the, 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 the accurate name, but you'll see it right there on the screen where you choose your data. And you, in most cases, I would say you probably don't want to enable automatic data switching if you're using one of these there. So, um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the phone really, like Apple has a lot of these things covered in a way that makes it super easy to use, which I'm I'm stoked about. So, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I got my roaming on. Uh, another... You have your, wait, tip. wait, you you have your roaming on on your, on your standard plan? Mm-hmm. Why? Um, I think that's how it came. You know, I I always leave mine on when I'm in continental U.S. Really? Yeah. I I that ran way, into a problem I, with that near the Canadian border. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's a good that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So I you I, can I, wind up picking a stronger signal out, but um, correct. Uh, but I found like when I had an old uh, legacy plan with it with another carrier, when I got up into the deep woods of Maine. 
Ida was not getting the uh, service. And so if I put it on roaming, I would pick up another, another service. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. But the question is, are you paying extra for that? I I would, I, I would check with your carrier before you just, you know, randomly turn on data roaming. Uh, it, for your for your postpaid plan, and when I say postpaid plan, I mean the like you know your your Verizon plan, your AT and T plan. I, I, actually, Mint Mobile is I, I, they are not technically a postpaid plan; they are a prepaid plan. So unless you've added money to your account for international or for data roaming, let's call it, uh, you could turn it on. It's like. They don't have a way of charging you. They they might not give you any data on these when you roam to these things, but right, there's that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, I I would I would be careful of that, John, on a Verizon mm-hmm. plan. Well, along with Pete, I've never had an extra charge. So right, but we we back things up, even though we've never had an incident where we've lost data. I mean, it mm-hmm. like. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we we Speak wear seat <laughs> we wear seatbelts in cars, even though we haven't been in accidents that have killed us, yeah. right? Like, I mean, like, there there are things that we do because we know they are a good practice, not That's because true. we've That's had the we've had the experience uh, that requires it. Yeah, yeah, I would I would be very careful with that when you're especially when you're traveling near borders or um, when you're traveling in rural areas. Because you might pick up a a, mm-hmm. a carrier that is not, you know, one with whom your main provider has a, a peering relationship, and then you're going to run into charges. Yeah, I'd, I'd be careful with that. Yeah. Well, I never have, but um, I understand. It's not really now, another point. thing to add is if the people that you get service from have an app, get it because, um, at least with Verizon. They will install a little data widget that you can see on a control center, I think, um, that tells you how much data you have left. Nice. Always nice to know. That's, yeah. Yeah, they absolutely. Also, and, and at least Verizon, and I think most others, if if you are approaching your cap, they'll, they'll let you know. They'll alert you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I get those texts from Mint Mobile. In fact, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago when I, when Overcast decided to just consume all my data in a 10 minute car ride. Oh yeah. It was great. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. Ouch. Yeah. I think yeah. that was, we talked about that on the show. You were not here, yeah. Pete. It was the, okay. uh, the one Allison Sheridan was here with us. I believe. All right. Uh, we got to get her back sometime. She was good. All right. Anyway, uh, moving right along. Dominic goes back a few episodes to episode nine twenty nine. He says, you wonder how you can tell how well a Qi charger is charging your phone. Well, he says, because I was asking, you know, when you're because if your phone is connected uh, wirelessly to your Mac, well, then you don't get to see the diagnostic data that you could get when you're plugged in. And of course, if you're charging over Qi and you plug in, you are no longer charging over Qi. It will switch to the plug because that's much more efficient. He says, However, if you have iMazing, it will tell you. Place your phone on your Qi or MagSafe charger. Then in iMazing, select the iPhone in the left-hand column and click on the battery symbol at the bottom right of the window. A pop-up appears telling you, among other things, what the charger is rated at and what the iPhone's current charging rate are in watts. 
And he sent us a screenshot. And sure enough, it shows that the, uh, you know, the charger is, uh, is at one voltage and the phone is charging at another. Uh, yeah. So this, this will answer the question of efficiency of your Qi charging system. Now, it is also good to remember that your phone will intentionally ratchet down the amount of juice it pulls in as you approach a full charge. So if you really want to see this, you know, get it charging at like a 20 or 30 percent um, on your phone and and give it a minute to ramp up to where it needs to be and then do your measurements or do your measurements all the way through. But just be aware that it will fluctuate through the process. But, yeah, thank you, Dominic. That's that's the answer to that question, because we've never really been able to get that before. So I like it. Amazing. What a great. I, those folks know what they're doing over there, I think. All right. Um Craig, there have been a lot of issues. I think Monterey has, uh, in this, I say this anecdotally, because it happens on many of my Macs. I think Monterey has wake from sleep issues. We've seen it very specifically with Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt devices. Uh, we've also seen it sort of randomly on Macs that may or may not have Thunderbolt. But there, there are wake from sleep issues with Monterey, and they've gotten worse, not better. I think twelve three was where they really started to to you know shine. So, uh, listener Craig has a tip though. He says, on occasion, my new Mac Studio uh, will not wake from sleep. This has happened maybe two times in the last month. Uh, I can bang on the keyboard or mouse all I want, but no joy. He says. I was pleasantly surprised and also presently surprised to find that instead of having to force a shutdown on my Mac studio uh, by pressing and holding the power button, just a quick press on the power button would cause everything to wake up and come back alive and fully operational. So try that first. If your Mac is in a state of what appears to be not waking from sleep, tap the power button and see if that wakes up the screens. I have dug into this on mine, my Mac mini, especially in the, well, my, the uh, Intel Mac in the studio suffers from the, I, it won't, it doesn't want to like re-enumerate Thunderbolt device devices when it wakes from sleep. So I don't let this Mac actually go to sleep. I let the displays turn off, but I can't let the Mac go to sleep because otherwise I can't use it when I wake it up, I have to reboot. My Mac mini in the, in the office, my M1 mini, I have not done that yet, Uh but I'm pretty close to it because I have this issue where I will mash on the keyboard. And what's interesting is it seems like it's only the displays that don't want to wake up uh, or or the user interface doesn't want to wake up. Maybe that's a better way to say it because I also can't VNC into it successfully in those cases. But I can terminal. I can SSH into my Mac in those cases. And it's fully responsive via SSH there's there's nothing that's uh, you know uh like sluggish or any of that there's no processes running amok it just doesn't want to wake up the user interface and so at least from there I can you know issue a a shutdown command and not just have to hold down the um the the power button let me and offer I'll, some ignorant conjecture please do is 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 perhaps the bluetooth also 
sleeping. I'm assuming it's Bluetooth mouse and keyboards, and so that's that's sleeping. And it's, it's not a power button. And, okay. Uh, right. Yeah, no, it's a good conjecture for like sure. I said, ignorant conjecture. Well, I- conjecture. ignorant because I didn't share details of my setup. My keyboard is wired in. It's it's a USB yeah. keyboard. No, I was thinking about the question. Um, yeah, the, with the Mac uh, Studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the Mac Studio, it might it might be yeah all wireless and and all that. Yeah, and and it certainly could be that. Um, yes, you're right. Saving saving power in the sleep yeah. mode to yeah, uh, yeah. Bluetooth devices, getting them to shut down. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's frustrating. I'm not. I'm curious to see how this evolves as we you know as we get um, into the new OS and all that stuff. But uh, well, in the ancillary to that too is I don't know about you, but it drives me nuts on the Mac laptops that if if you have it in the sleep mode or you have it off. And you want it off, and you want to clean the keyboard. The darn thing turns on. Oh yeah, you know. Oh yeah. No, the power button is for turning my computer on, not any other key on the laptop. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, correct. I I agree with you. I also completely understand why Apple has made it so that any key wakes up your computer. That way, one key failure doesn't. Well, but also we're so used to waking our computers with the space bar or whatever. Oh, yeah. okay. If it's turned off. And we start hitting the space bar and nothing happens. Well, now there's a support call, right? But if we make it so that the space bar and any other key also starts up your computer, hey, we just eliminated, you know, some percentage of support calls. So <laughs> fish yeah. shake. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I, I don't disagree with you, yeah. but I, I, un- I do understand why Apple might choose to do something exactly like that. Hmm. Uh, go ahead, John. Yeah, I found sometimes. I have to jam on the uh, Touch ID or the power key on my MacBook Pro in order to wake it up. My expectation is that the first time I put my thumb or whatever finger, yeah, I think I use my thumb, the first time it doesn't get it. And I'm like, no, come on, wake up. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, you should be able to wake up your MacBook Pro, well, either by opening the lid Mm -hmm. or just by hitting the space bar. You shouldn't need to hit the power button or Touch ID at all. I mean, unless... It may be after the fact, right? Like once it's awake, it might want you to log in and then you'd use the touch ID. But yeah, mm-hmm. huh. yeah, there's something. I assume it's running Monterey, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's fascinating. I don't know. I don't know what Apple's done there, but there's clearly some issues. For those of you, because I know some of you are going to ask if you are uh, the type of person who would want to SSH into your not sleeping, but also not responsive Mac to shut it down the right way. The The shutdown command, and you don't have to write this down because I've already put it in the show notes, is sudo shutdown dash R now. It will ask you for your password. Make sure you are in the right terminal window connected to the right computer before you issue this command because whatever computer you do it on, this will cause it to restart effective immediately. But it does... Like quit all your apps and flush all the disk caches and do all the things that you would want to. Well, most of the things that you would want to be done. It unceremoniously quits apps. So it doesn't give you the option to save things because you're not in that user interface. But um, but it is a nicer shutdown than simply holding the power button for 10 seconds and and letting it literally pull power from the motherboard. So, um, yeah, so it's a, and you got to put sudo in front of it and it will ask you for your password because. Uh, generally speaking, you need to be root to force a computer to do a system-wide thing like shutting down. 
One last little tip that showed up in our Discord group, and then we'll oh, then we've got some some follow ups, and uh, we'll talk about NFCs a little bit. We've got uh, yeah, we got all kinds of things, and we'll we'll share some information about our sponsors, and it's it's going to be great. So hoot, uh, Todd in our Discord channel at macgeekab.com slash Discord says um, with regards to a your do not disturb focus. He says I have a bunch of contacts in the allowed people. And some apps in the allowed apps. And then it hit me that I would hate to have to recreate those lists if something went sideways and I got caught. He says, so I've taken screenshots of all of my focus groups and I've saved them to a note that's synced with iCloud. This is super smart. I mean, obviously, if you're just migrating from phone to phone or restoring from a backup or something, it, it should pull these things in. But it never hurts to have those backups um, in a visual way so that you can you can compare and be like, oh, right. This other app that I want to have in my exclusion list. Boom. There it is. So, yeah, good call, Todd. I do that a lot with uh, when I have to migrate routers or something where there's just lots and lots and lots of settings. I will just go through page by page and take screenshot after screenshot. And uh, hmm. it works out. I mean, why not? Right. Like at, at the right, very right. at the very least, you can so go back. Yeah. So where does one set their focus groups? Um, well, this would be in uh, settings. Good question. And I think, isn't it just in uh, general? Is it in, I forget where I forget where I set all my focus stuff. Oh, no, it's just settings focus. Yeah, right there. Settings focus. And then you can add as many groups of focus as you so choose. And, and they can each be tweaked differently. It's a wonderful thing. So, yeah, at, at least that's where I do it on my phone and on the Mac. I'm trying to think yeah. of where. So in on the Mac, it's in notifications and focus inside system preferences. Oh, okay. And it's the second tab there. So, yeah, you can you can fire that up as well. And uh, and you can see all your. All your ah, I see groups. it. Notifications and focus. Yeah. Notifications right. and focus. Yeah. 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 It's, um, and you know, and then you can add different things. You know, I talk about my, my nuclear group where I have just the people that, uh, just the four of us in our family. And I have my podcasting group where I have you guys and Paul Kent and Shannon Jean with whom I do the gig gab and small business show podcasts. Um, you and, and then you can also set apps. So I have discord and Mac geek gab as apps that are allowed to get through when I'm in podcasting focus. So. Yeah, it's pretty good. I like it. It's the way it works. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I see. Oh, I actually set some at one point. Yeah. So you're in in the group. Yeah, important people are in the group. Yeah. Yeah, and I I have a keyboard maestro macro that puts me into that I that like I trigger when we're going to do, for example, this show. It launches all the apps that I need launched. Um, quits apps that I might not want to have running and I have it now put me in my podcasting focus mode so that I know that the, the interruptions that I get will be desired, at least theoretically desired interruptions. Um, and then of course, from there I have an automation on my iPhone that turns off the air purifier in the studio when I am in podcasting focus. And then another automation that turns it back on when I'm out of podcasting focus. So, you know, it manages it all. I, automation is, man, it's pretty cool what these computers can do. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. 
should do a show about what computers can do. I think that would, I think people would like that. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. People would, might tune into that. I think so. Nah, no one would listen. Nah, forget it. <laughs> Silly. All right. Let's, uh, let's tell them about our, our sponsors. If that works for you, Mr. Braun. Sounds good. All right. Yeah. First up today is Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com with their OWC Mini Stack STX. So this is stackable storage and Thunderbolt hub with expansion. The Mini Stack STX is shaped just like a Mac Mini, and it's built for your Mac Mini to sit on top of it. So you can add a mix of up to five Thunderbolt devices, three USB devices, and two displays And you can use with Thunderbolt or USB-equipped Macs, PCs, iPads, Chromebooks, Android tablets, virtually anything that supports external storage. This thing's got four Thunderbolt ports on the back of it, and then you can just use them any way you want. One goes upstream to your Mac, and then from there, you're, you're good to go. Inside it, you've got the dual drive Dynamo. There's a universal SATA drive bay that holds a hard disk uh, or an SSD. And then when you need to support low latency instant access operations... The NVMe M.2 SSD slot has everything covered for you. So put what you want inside it, connect what you want outside it. This really is your Thunderbolt hub with storage. You can get one for $279 empty, and then you can go all the way up. You can get uh, right from them. You can get an 18 terabyte drive in there and an 8 terabyte SSD or anything in between. You know, you want a 2 terabyte drive and no SSD, no problem. They just go mix and match. Get what you want, and you're going to love it. Go check it out. The Mini Stack STX from OWC at MaxSales.com. And our thanks to MaxSales.com. For sponsoring this episode next up well is me not me here but same me dave i'm the co-host of another podcast called the small business show i do it with shannon jean who has direct ties to our apple community here shannon was the co-founder of both tech restore and before that mac rescue he's a mac guy an apple guy just like the rest of us and Shannon and I have run several businesses together over the years. Seven years ago, we decided to start doing this show. And at first, we thought we were doing a show for small business owners, hence the name, The Small Business Show. What we realized from our listeners, what the show is about, is thinking with your business brain. So just like here, you know, the show is ostensibly about being a Mac user, an Apple user. But really what we talk about is using your troubleshooting brain to enhance your life, right? And, and then other things like, you know, cool things that we find. And the same is true of the small business show. We're just using a different mindset to approach solving all kinds of problems. It's that business brain mindset of always looking, where are the angles? What can you do to make sure you're living that charmed life, taking advantage of, you know, all kinds of things. We're huge fans of credit card loyalty reward programs. That's a that's a big key to living the charmed life. We're always talking about things like managing how to budget for stuff and how to increase your productivity without driving yourself nuts, without having to rely on discipline. We've got all kinds of these tricks and stuff that we talk about. We answer people's questions similar to what we do here. If you're into learning how to think more with your business brain, or if you're someone who thinks with your business brain and you want to join a community of like-minded folks, businessshow.co. That's where we are every week. The Small Business Show with Shannon Jean and me, businessshow.co. Check it out. 
And uh, yeah, thanks for checking it out. We appreciate it. Thanks for everything. All right, John, you want to talk to us? We got a bunch of follow-ups about uh, NFCs. Do you want to take us there? Will do. Uh, what is NFC, you may ask? Near field communication. And it's basically the wireless technology that your phone uses to talk to other things. Um, but uh, we, we explored this a while ago. So you can, and I didn't know this. Um, I thought it was just a, a, a read thing. But um, apparently your phone, um, I think, 13 and beyond or maybe 12 and beyond or maybe even goes, 11 and beyond. I think it goes yeah I thought it was 10R could could write NFCs but I I I may be ascribing a feature that didn't exist back then. Yeah, so the cool part is your phone has the ability to write to NFCs but you need an app to do it. So uh I found one a while back and mentioned it um uh, so anyways, John says, I checked out the NFC writing app you mentioned on episode 933 uh, called NFC QR code document scanner. It does all sorts of things. Uh, it does the scanning for free, but writing to NFC tags requires a subscription of $3 a month or a $70 one time fee, which I did not find to be the case with my version of the app. Um. I use a free alternative that does writing for free, and I think the functionality of the writing and address card is actually better in the free app. The free alternative is NFC 21 Tools. And I checked out, and yeah, it's, uh, it's good. Cool. Um, I wanted to describe what I consider better about the free app. You can choose your address card using either of the NFC apps, but only the free one, NFC 21, lets you remove some fields before you write to the tag. I wanted to do this because the address card I have for myself and my phone includes my home address and NFC 21. Let me remove any fields I wanted before writing my address cards to NFC. Nice. Huh? Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's what we need. Yeah. 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 PJ Mickles in uh, the chat at live.macgeekup.com or macgeekup.com slash discord. Cause they kind of go to the same place ish uh, points out that the app that you mentioned last week also enabled him to write for free. So uh, yeah, it, 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 what it, whatever the limitation is, the two of you didn't hit it, but listener John uh, did. So, but good to know about NFC 21 tools for sure. Yeah. Good stuff. Anything more on that? Or you want to, do you want to answer Terry's question or address Terry's question? I guess it's um, not really. Yeah. I don't think we have an answer, but yeah. Um, I think I do. Well, we'll see. Um, all right. So Terry says, um, all right. So he took the, the app that I recommend and he says, I have tags and programming is easy. When I program a tag for a UL, URL or a contact, it works. When I program my Wi-Fi, I get nothing. When I read the tag, the Wi-Fi name and password is there, but my phone won't read it. My friend's phone won't read it either. Um, on an iPhone 11 Pro. Not critical, but now I'm curious. Could it be the tags? Should I buy different tags? Um, my experience has been no. I don't think it's the tags. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know, but Apple's parser doesn't seem to like all data types. Uh, and I did a little experiment. So I took one of the utilities and I wrote out, I think it was 
a text field. So you can just write a bunch of text to the um to the tag. Okay. Um you can write some other things too, but I found that unless you run the app, it will not read it. Could you run an Apple script to launch an app? Um Huh. Not sure, but um, yeah. yeah what? Uh, and, and no, so well, no, no. It would have to be a shortcut, Pete. Um, but okay. and that does work. You can because there's no Apple script on iPhone, right? Um, but oh, right, yeah, but yeah. shortcuts, yes, there there are, and you absolutely can write a shortcut to do a thing when it senses an NFC tag, and for that you don't even need to write anything to the tag. You just take the tag. And then, you know, during the, the setup process of your of your shortcut, you, you know, tap your phone near the tag and it will get the idea of the tag. And then, OK, great. I know what to do. Everything's great. But that is a very intentional thing. Right. Like I can do that. You on would my have to phone. have the shortcut on your phone. Your guests would have to have it on their phone and they weren't they aren't going to. They aren't going to. <laughs> that's yeah. it, But that's exactly right. But, yes, you can do that. But, in it, yeah, I think. So go ahead, John. The uh, you, you wrote just generic text out to a an NFC tag. Yeah. So I I tried to. So the thing is the uh, the uh, NFC apps will have templates for various data types, as mentioned before. There's a business card. Um, I wrote. I tried two data types. So one of them, I wrote a telephone number. You can write a telephone number. Okay. And when I held, it, held up the phone, not running the app, it read it just fine. And I'm like, okay, that's nice. Um, but if I wrote a text string, I had to run the app in order for the phone to recognize that there was something it should be reading. So I don't know the answer. That, that's my answer is I, yeah, sometimes I, you got to run the app. I had... Um... I I swear I have memories of being at a Mac tech conference and they had written, I say they, it, it very easily at Mac tech, you know, nobody is the smartest person in the room, right? Every, it, not the conference organizers, not the speakers, not the attack, like everybody's smarter than everybody else. And it's like, I love it. It's great. Uh, so when I say they did this, it could very well have been the conference organizers, but it also might just have been an attendee. But uh, there was a bunch of NFC tags stuck outside of a few of the different conference rooms, and you could just tap your phone on it, and they had the Wi-Fi credentials right there and connect to the network. So I swear that I have done this. However, this was many, many years ago. I remember having an iPhone XR at this event. So that can perhaps, you know, normalize the year for us or at least identify the year for us. And it's possible that Apple has removed that functionality from current versions of iOS. I don't know why Apple would remove that one. And maybe my memory is flawed. I mean, it, 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 well, my memory is definitely flawed. Maybe in this instance, we are seeing that flaw surface. But uh I swear that it worked, you know, for those of us that had phones, because I, I think the 10R was the first phone that would read NFC without you needing to, like, run an app or do something to tell it to read NFC. I think I think the 10R was the first one. The 10 would not. The 10R would. 
uh, the 10 you had NFC, but you had to like, you know, put it in a mode where it would read. But anyway, I definitely have seen this happen before. I know Android phones can do it. So it, it seems to have been a choice for Apple to not uh, allow Wi-Fi credentials to be shared with NFC, which is like a, it's a, it seems like an odd choice to me. I don't know. Dave, mm-hmm. I seem to recall at the last Mac world, there were NFC tags though being used. And I don't recall whether it allowed you onto a given Wi-Fi network sure. or things like that, but they were using it way back then. So, um, but yeah, for some reason, I feel like it was to get you onto a given Wi-Fi network. Um, that, you know, an NFC was becoming, Hey, the big thing in retail. So that as you walked into a store, they could tell what, what rack you were spending time. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's, that was the whole beacons thing. That was different. I mean, Uh, similar, like similar technology, different actual implementation. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There's someone out there has an answer to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Wait, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I think he said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, I did. I did. I, I did indeed. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Let us know. We'd love to know. It's good stuff. Uh, listener Jonathan has a question for us, and I swear I'm going to find it. Yeah. Jonathan says, I've been having some strange things happening when using my browser on my Mac, on my iMac specifically, although I don't think that matters. It seems to happen across all Safari, Brave, and Chrome. I mainly use Brave, but I have seen this on others. It does not seem to occur on phones. The issue is that I have been, A, getting lots of CAPTCHA challenges. Two, I got a SSL version or Cypher mismatch when trying to go to Amazon of all places. And I got another one that says your connection was interrupted. A network change was detected. Any advice on chasing this down? So I'm not I'm not entirely certain we are answering Jonathan's question with this, but I have seen very similar behavior and I've seen it happen with iCloud private relay. Uh, every time I go to my bank's website, I am told that I'm connecting from a different place and I need to, you know, tell them my uncle's name or the name of Pete's favorite cat or something. I don't know. Uh, and 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 it, but I I really I think private iCloud private relay only affects Safari. I didn't think it was impacting everything else, but it might be depending on on how these things are doing what they're doing. So I, it, on on a few of my devices, I have turned off iCloud private relay. Uh, and and I you know I'll I'll try it again every few months and see how it goes because I know Apple is is working very hard to make it seamless in every way, but but yeah I mean your IP address is changing as a as as a byproduct as the intentional byproduct of iCloud Private Relay and so um, yeah yeah it's, I it's I am an avid user of the Brave browser and I haven't noticed that I have noticed what you said you know. Every time I go to log into Amazon or something like, hey, you're you're at a different place. You know, okay, yeah, I realize that. And I'm using uh, private Internet access VPN, those right. sorts of things. So, you know, hey, you're logging in from a different place. So I even quit trying to save cookies to it. But but I don't think it's the Brave browser. I find that to be an actually an exceptionally well-accepted browser. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think it's so. the browser. I, I think it's the something about the it, network so connection. 
Yeah. Yeah. You said it was across browsers, but uh, yeah. sticking up for Brave here. <laughs> no, no, that's that's great. Yeah, yeah. Do Do you use Brave as your primary browser, Pete? Uh, switch between Chrome and Brave. Interesting. I, it, but you know, what's funny is I noticed recently that I still have Safari as the default. So if I click on a link, it comes up in Safari. Right. But I find that to be more, uh, here's a technical term, persnickety. It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's less accepting of a lot of the things that people are trying to do on the server side, uh, than, yeah. Oh, for sure. Seem to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like we couldn't do this. We, you know, right. this I mean right. is StreamYard, stream which yard. is how we connect to each other. Yeah. The whole WebRTC thing and Safari is is but still evolving. But uh, but it could be for listener Jonathan, the issue could be that his ISP is changing his IP address frequently. I mean, it, you know, I I ascribed it to iCloud Private Relay because it that's what it does, but. If if his ISP is constantly renegotiating his lease and giving him a new address, I you know when I moved from Comcast to Consolidated, I started noticing that too, and that's without iCloud Private Relay, and it's because Consolidated you know gives me a new IP address a couple times a week, and and you know and they're all over the place. I'll get one in Massachusetts, I'll get one in Vermont, occasionally I'll get one in New Hampshire, which is where I am, you know, but. Uh, but it is fast. So, and, and oh, there you go. Inexpensive. Yeah. Right. So, and I, I've alerted them to this and they're like, Oh, we never thought about the lease times affecting people's banking sessions. And I'm like, yeah, yep. Sure does. They're like, no, it makes perfect sense. They're like, we're, we're going to take a look at that. I'm like, great. Sounds good. Keep up the good work. You, you don't have control over the lease time in the modem. It no, because it's a PPPOE connection. Uh, and even with cable modems, you don't have control over the lease time. The, the, the lease time in with, well, if you're using DHCP, which I'm not yet with, with consolidated, but DHCP lease times are, are controlled by the server. Okay. So, but like on your router, you can control the lease times for your internal network, but sure. not, you know, the address your router gets is, is up to, you know, whoever controls the upstream. Which right, I don't okay. think I didn't know if you control them. I thought it was for some reason I was thinking on the you know one ninety two dot one sixty eight dot one hundred dot one right your modem interface so that you no. could set your lease time in there. No, no, no. okay, no. unless your modem is your router and that, but then you'd be setting your internal network internal, lease time. not your yeah. external. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that the the ISP should be yeah. the one having control over the amount of time you get on a given IP. The good news is with DHCP. That even with a short lease time, most of the time when you renew your lease, you keep the same IP address. So even if you only give it an hour lease, as long as the connection remains up, if it's, you know, renewing the lease every hour, it's just going to keep the same IP, which is why cable modem customers, you know, generally have an IP address for you know, months weeks. or years or weeks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are you are you IPv6 or four on Consolidated? Consolidated does not have IPv6. Okay. So. Yeah. So I've had to turn off IPv6 on on the Comcast side of my connection. I, I mentioned recently I I yeah. still have uh, both so that I have a backup. But if I leave IPv6 on on the Comcast side, traffic just randomly goes that way because it's like, oh, if we're going to go IPv6, we have to go this path. Can't go the other one, even though it's primary. So it's like, all right, let's turn off IPv6 over there. Everything's fine. There you go. Yeah. All right. Um. Michael has a fantastic follow-up 
for us from uh, recent episodes about VPN. And uh, we'll let Michael take it away. Hey, John David. It's Michael in Long Beach. Uh, you, know, you guys were talking about, I think it was the last episode, maybe the one before that, about VPNs. And, uh, you know, private Internet access came up. They have a very good deal going on. It's like $79 for three years, something like that. Very inexpensive. And I had been a customer of theirs for a while, but I always found the speeds very slow. And I moved to ExpressVPN about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and their speeds were incredible. Uh, but in doing my research uh, the other day, when you were talking about how cheap it was now, uh, VP, ExpressVPN and Private Internet Access are owned by the same company. They also own GhostVPN. It's a company called Cape Technologies, K-A-P-E. Uh, so that's interesting. I don't know what they're doing. Um, maybe it'll all roll up into one thing eventually, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, same company owns both. So, interesting. All right. Bye. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. And, and you're right. Cape seems to have acquired many, many of the big-name VPNs. So, um, yeah. Uh, let, let, let the buyer do their research. I, I don't know that there's anything we as consumers can do about this uh, because it seems like the the good VPNs are. Um, are we still? Oh, it looks oh, like he's got Michael's a, still running in the background. We yeah, got a butt dial from yeah. Michael in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it's interesting. They seem to have picked up, like uh, like he said, private internet access, ExpressVPN, ZenMate. Cyber Ghost, and they're spending a lot of money to do this. Fascinating. So, in the conspiracy theory world, is Cape VPN better known as NSC or CIA VPN? Yeah, or or <laughs> you know the Russian VPN. Cape is Cape is what kind of a company is Cape? Like, where are they located? Um, Cape Technologies. I'm not sure. I had a feeling. I have some memory that they are not a U.S. company, but uh, I, I don't have anything in front of me that confirms that. So they may very well be, but I, I thought they were not a U.S. company. When I was shopping around again, I was I, I was looking for it because I heard somebody on a radio at one point going, you know, you know, all these these VPNs and they're owned by and they can access yours. You know, like, yeah. Oh, okay. I kind of looked for it, but I couldn't really find much of anything. And I would I would imagine anyone. Owning VPNs and wanting to look at your stuff would make it difficult to find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, along the same conspiracy theory line there. Right, but, right. Um, right. But, you know, yeah, it, it's it's encrypted. I, I use it just to bounce my IP around to keep my ISP from targeting me in ads. That's, yeah. that's my main reason. And then my secondary reason is when I'm overseas, I like to be able to watch some of my television content. And Totally. Totally. And but depending on your router, you can just VPN into your house and and do that, and that right. will and work then, better. I was at Comcast, and I was worried at that point. I was worried about, hey, I'm using a couple terabytes a month, and they were going to limit me, yes, and all that. And then you were kind enough to to let me borrow yours. Yeah, use my holiday. VPN all you want. I've got more yeah. bandwidth than I need, and it's completely unlimited. So, yeah. yep, no problem. In fact, but, I tell anyone who connects to my Plex server to at least attempt to do it with unlimited, uh, uh, no transcoding, right? Because by default, if you're a Plex user and you connect to someone else's, like a, a Plex server over the internet, 
it will use it will stream at a lower bandwidth because the presumption is that most people don't have a decent upstream to to stream to you. But I do. And so I'm always very happy to encourage people yeah. to to go, you know, because that way my server doesn't need to transcode anything. It just barfs it out just like it does to my TV here at home. So if 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 you're downstream and your internal Wi-Fi is fast enough to handle you know, a 25 megabit per second uh, 4K stream, by all means, enjoy. That's what it's there for. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one time you were peeking over my shoulder and you were like, uh, you're streaming this at low res. Why don't you yeah. bump it up. up a notch? Yeah. And I had to set it on my end. Correct. To- it, yeah, it, it's I can control the maximum that, well, any of us that run a server, a Plex server can control the maximum that we allow people to stream from us, but you, the client has to choose how much to, uh, to, to ask to pull down. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's in Brian Monroe, I think is ask in the chat room is asking where that setting is in Plex. I, I think it's in, it's different in every client. So, you know, on the Apple TV version of Plex is going to be slightly different than the Roku version, but it's generally in, the quality settings um, uh, inside the settings portion of, of Plex. So yeah, go take a look. All right. You, uh, we got some feedback on T-Mobile wireless internet speeds from listener, Jonathan, you want to share that John? Sure. Um, So he says, um, I made TMO. And I'm like, Hmm, I didn't know they offered home internet. T-Mobile. That's their, that's their (laughs) stock ticker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, um, and I have been since it was in beta three to four years ago. It was originally 4G, but then moved to 5G. Uh, it's been great, but proximity to the cell tower is important. I'm only two blocks line of sight from my tower, probably why they asked me to be in the beta, and I get about 550 to 750 megabits down, um, depending on time of day, and 100 up reliably. Now, your mileage may vary based on your proximity to your cell phone network's tower. A good proxy is your cell phone performance. Um, If you get good performance on it, you'll probably get good home internet performance because it's the same thing. Uh, They ask for your address when you sign up, and they won't offer the service unless you get adequate performance. Oh, that's nice. Um, That's all for a flat $50 a month, unlimited, regardless of whether you're an existing customer or not. Verizon has similar service, but their advertised price requires a qualifying cell phone plan. Um, Verizon is greedy. I think Verizon's the greediest of all the U.S. carriers. Could be. Uh, yeah, well, um, I mean, look, look at their prices. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, 50 bucks, what you see is what you get. My other choices are Comcast and DSL, and there's no way I would get those speeds for that price, if at all. Um, think 15 megabits per second down and maybe two up. Wow. Um, uh, and we don't mention Comcast in my house. <laughs> yeah. The 15 down and two up would be DSL speeds just to qualify yeah, that yeah. for folks. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So if you're in the boonies, it's probably not viable, but if you're not getting Comcast or fiber out there either, maybe DSL, if it's available, I would check into Starlink out there, but it's significantly more expensive. Last I heard, it was going to $135 a month plus the equipment fee of $600. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Unless you have a business case for symmetric internet, I can't see any reason why someone would stay on wired internet, even fiber at this price. Wireless wiped out the landline phone business. Um, yeah, I think it did. Um, I think it's also going to wipe out the wired internet business. Building towers is ex- exp- as expensive as it is, is way cheaper than running any kind of wire. Yes. Yeah, well, fair. Yeah, yeah. My my question for Jonathan or anyone using, you know, 5G Internet to the home, T-Mobile, Verizon, whatever, you know, whatever you're choosing to do, uh, would be latency and consistency of that. You know, when I uh, am on my like fiber connection here and I ping, say, www.apple.com, I see very consistent results and they're all in, let's say, the 20 millisecond range. But it's but it's. Every result comes in and is, you know, within one millisecond of the others, right? It's all this very tight, consistent pattern. And that's really important for things like video chats and uh, and that sort of thing and and voice calls and anything that requires gaming. Gamers care about this a lot, right? Because, you know, the, especially the twitchy gaming, if, if you've got some lag, it's it's going to throw you off and you're going to you're not going to be able to compete. So I'd be really curious to hear what kind of ping times you get from the T-Mobile 5G, especially in a sort of perfect world scenario that Jonathan's in. So, yeah, if, if uh, hopefully we'll, we'll hear some follow ups from folks feedback at MackieCup.com, because we would love to know just how like it certainly from a speed standpoint, you know, 900 down and 100 up or 800. Oh, sorry, he's saying 600 down and, and 100 up like that's. That's amazing, right? That's better than you're going to get from Comcast, especially on the upstream. And that upstream is super important these days and unlimited bandwidth. You know, you're not being throttled or or you charged more if you upload your backups and things like that, like Pete was talking about. So, yeah, yeah, interesting. But I think if the latency is is within, I'd say if it's 50 milliseconds or less and, and is pretty consistent. Then yeah, man, I I agree with Jonathan's Jonathan's presumption that wireless internet will outpace wired pretty quickly, which is great. I you know I like it. No cables, no cables to fail. It's good. Just gotta just mm. gotta have power. So yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. I was having some weirdness the other day with uh, my wired service. Normally, as as he pointed out, wired wired service is a lot more predictable, or at least it should be. But I was streaming something on Netflix the other night, and all of a sudden I got the spinning wheel of of pain. <laughs> uh, what's going on, man? Uh, so I tried to ping test the Apple, and I was dropping packets right and left. And I'm like, oh, great. So I power cycled. So I've learned the way to solve this, and we found this. I was just going to say, I mean, this problem plagued us last week when we were going to do the show, right? Yeah. Yeah, I may have to get another cable modem. I think. Yeah, or or jump to fiber. Like now's the time, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, everybody's offering it in my area. Cheaper, now. faster. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'd do it. I just have to figure out how to get it into this room. I think they're no, gonna you don't like that's up the to house. them. That just call mm-hmm. them and and order it. It's not up to you to get it into the room. That like they will mm-hmm. do that. That's part of their service. This is not your problem mm-hmm. to solve. They, they they know how to do it. They do it all day long, every day. I, like, you're going to be good. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't stress about that, man. That that, that you have many outdoor walls 
in that, uh, you know, on that room, right? It's a corner room. Mm-hmm. You're golden. You're golden. It's a, that's a 10 minute job to drill a hole through the wall. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the hard part, like the part that took the longest when they put fiber in here was getting the fiber from the street to the, you know, to the outside of the house. Cause that they needed to be very meticulous about and, and, you know, wire it all up and do it the right way and make sure there's the bends are at the right angles and not too tight and all that. Once the guy had done that, then they, they did that without me needing to like be here because it all happened on the outside of the house. I happened to be here, but it didn't matter. And then when they came back to do the appointment for um, for actually installing it, you know, it was just like, oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to drill right through here. Is it cool if I hang the ONT inside? I'm like, yep, that's good. And I came back 10 minutes later and he's like, yeah, we're pretty much up and running. Like, perfect. Sounds great. Thanks for your time. So, yeah, I, I would I would just call him. Don't have to sweat it. That is a solved problem. Mm-hmm. All right. We had a contest last week, folks. Well, maybe not a contest, a homework assignment for uh, it, it, because we need a term for that maneuver that we've all done. When you take a cable from underneath your desk and you are underneath your desk and you want to hang that cable gingerly on the back of the desk so that you can then climb around quickly, but carefully and grab that cable before it falls back down. And so we had many, many contributions here. Jose will lead us off. He says a possible, possible phrase for the cable dangle. How about the over under used in a sentence? I had to do the over under to plug in my charger behind my desk used in the sentence, man. That is super efficient. I, I could, I could see myself using that. Obviously there's, there's, you know, uh, uh, like like betting terminology that also uses the over under, and so m- maybe this doesn't stick, but I like it. It's 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 not a bad contribution, and I could see myself using that. That's good. Karen wrote in and says uh, it's desk and dangling, so maybe it's descaling. We're descaling the cable. Okay, all right. I yep. I like these are terms of efficiency. That's how that's how language evolves. That's how language evolves. Uh, listener Michael, with his butt dial, comes back. Hey John, Dave, this is Michael in Long Beach. Uh, most recent episode talking about that maneuver with the cable under the desk, just enough to grab it. I would call that the dangler. Dangler. All right. Yeah, I did a dangler that fell. Oh well. Better <laughs> luck next time. Love the show. I had a dangler and it fell. Better luck next time. I had a dangler and it fell. I I mean, like that's the show title. Whether or not that term sticks around for us, John, I don't know. But uh, but for sure, that's uh, that's a good one. Thank you, Michael. Bjorn wrote in and uh, says, You complained about this lack of a standardized term. As soon as I heard your request for an easier way to explain this, it came to me. You are not table cable able. Put that into circulation and it should soon be obvious to all and sundry what you are talking about. Table cable able. All right. Okay. But that has to be more. That's not the maneuver. That's more about the the person like, oh, I did it. I was table cable able. You know, I like it. All right. Sure. Fun. Uh, last one for today. Keep these coming in. Last one for today is almost a cool stuff found. In fact, it is a cool stuff found. 
He says, uh, listener Scott writes in, he says, you wanted a word for the hanging cable. I was thinking along the line that it is a dance between you and the cable. That's fair. Says, so I looked at wordcombiner.com. John, I've never heard of wordcombiner.com. And he says, uh, I told it to find possible words for dance and cable. And the one that came up that Scott personally liked was dancel, D-A-N-C-L-E. A dancel. You got a dancel. So it's like a dangler, but a danceler or a dancel. All right. Sure. I like it. I like it. And also, I like word combiner. I could see many hours being, um, I don't know if wasted is the right term, but I think it might be the right term. <laughs> so I just use duct tape. Is that seriously how you do this? You put some duct tape on the back uh, of your desk so that. You can you can stick it there and then pull it up. Mm-hmm. Huh. I have done that. That's smart. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Why why wouldn't duct tape work? Duct tape solves everything. All right, MacGyver and Braun. I like it. Uh we've got time for a few cool stuffs to be found. Listener Todd. Uh, says, um, check out the hand mirror app. I'm jumping on zoom calls day in and day out and generally want to know if I look like Gandalf the gray or Gandalf the white before heading into a meeting. <laughs> he says, so I use hand mirror, which is available at handmirror.app, which lives in my max menu bar. So I can quickly peek at myself before putting fear into my coworkers. It works immediately and saves me from having to open photo booth. A bonus tip, he says, you can set it to open with a keyboard shortcut. Ooh, I like this. I never heard of Hand Mirror before, but that is that is an app that solves a very real issue. Just take a look quick, quick before you uh, before you join that call and realize, oh my goodness, I don't have a shirt on. So yeah, it's good. <laughs> what that hasn't happened? That doesn't happen to everybody else. Uh, or you're not wearing pants. Well, that usually doesn't matter unless you're getting up and like, you know, doing a little jig for people mm-hmm. on calls, which has been known to happen, to be fair. Yeah, that's that it does. It yeah. happens. Yeah. Hey, uh, I I bought a bunch of these years ago, but uh, I've recently had to use one. You know where you have a wall wart, John, and you need to plug it into a power strip, right? It happens all the time. And you you know, the wall wart is the wrong orientation or too big. And you either have to put it in the power strip and give up another slot on or another plug on the power strip. Well, for uh, and you can you can spend as much or as little as you want on these. But on Amazon, I bought a 10 pack uh, years ago of these short little uh, they call them outlet savers. Really what they are is just three pronged extension cords that are, you know, eight inches long or something. And you just uh, plug one of these into the power strip and then dangle uh, your, your dangle, your dongle off of that, man, boy, if, if we didn't already have a title for the show, you could dangle your dongle all day long and it, it works really well. I, it, now my power strips all have these. I keep a couple in my I call it my just in case it's a case of things that I bring with me to gigs for uh, when you know something goes wrong which is pretty much every gig and so I, I keep a couple of these in my just in case for gigs too and uh, 
And it, it like it, they're, they're lifesavers because you just plug it in and then you're good to go. It doesn't matter the orientation of the power strip or the, the wall wart. Everybody's happy. So I'll put a link to the ones I bought in the show notes. But obviously you can, you know, there's, you know, it's Amazon. You find a jillion of these things. So that's yeah, good. Yeah. Another th- nice thing I found. So some vendors, but not all, will actually design their wall wart to be thin. Yes. Yeah. And also I've gotten some uh power strips that have extra space on like the last uh the last plug, which is also another thoughtful thing. Yep. But I like yours too, because then you can turn any any outlet. Doesn't matter the orientation. Yeah, because I'll have a power strip where things are, you know, oriented one way and the wall wart tries to be thin, but is oriented the wrong way for that power strip and it's gonna take up multiple outlets anyway. You know, it's like ah, I appreciate the thought, but Alas, so yeah, it's a great piece of gear. I want some. Yeah, well, if you need one, well, I was going to say if you need one today, you can come get one, Pete, because I have a few extras. But you can't be there in twenty four hours. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Amazon will be there likely faster than that. There you go. So yeah, and 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 to get them to your house in Florida, it would take you forty eight hours. I could give it to you in twenty four, but right. but then you'd have to keep driving. I don't think that would exactly. be such a good It'd idea. Be a long day. Be along two days, Pete. That's how yes. we count them with the 24 and the whole. There's this thing called UTC Zulu time. I'll explain. Pilots use it. It's it's one of these things. Oh, I'll look that up. Okay. Maybe a Mars day or a Plutonian day. Who knows? <laughs> uh, John, you want to uh, you want to share Dominic's fist shake here? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, you said something about currying querying and interpreting smart data or not being able to. Howard Oakley recently posted an explainer or perhaps a fish shake on the subject at Eclectic Light. His fish shaking point is that somebody looking at you, Apple, needs to step up and use macOS's new frameworks to write a user land driver that can retrieve smart data from external USB drives. As Apple has, with good reason, made the aging... SAT smart driver, the only thing that can currently do this, only installable if one downgrades one's Mac security. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love Howard Oakley. And, uh, and I think he's right to shake his fist at this. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure some third-party tools will install this. Um, yeah. DriveDX, from what I recall, can actually do this or i think they include that driver when you okay. install it okay but but now with monterey does that you, you have to reduce your you yeah, know, whatever to your max security check. to do it yeah 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 all right well good stuff thank you dominic uh dr dream sent in a uh cool stuff found for a, an app he says i'm working it's an app called duplicate file finder he says i'm working on uh, multiple messes on my imac much of the issue is my own bad practices, and I'm trying to improve. I found this app, Duplicate File Finder, and I'm very impressed with it. And he sent us a screenshot, and he it's, it does what it says. It looks and finds duplicate files of all types and kinds and all of that good stuff. And so I, there, there's many apps that do this, and I'm glad to know about yet another one. Thanks for sending that along, Dr. Dream. Always good, and always good to hear from you, too. Listener Wayne shared 
Parsec with us, John. He says, I use this app called Parsec to remote into my Windows machine from my M1 Mac. It's designed for gaming, so the latency is super low. And he says, I prefer it over TeamViewer. Plus, it costs less if you purchase a license, but that's not necessary. Parsec can be installed on the remote machine as a host. It will run in the background and not cause much of a fuss. When you need to provide support to someone, just connect to the host and you can take over immediately. So in the remote access tech support department, low latency might actually be a really good thing because sometimes trying to control somebody's screen with Zoom can be a little bit herky jerky. There's a little bit of latency there uh, that can be frustrating. So parsec.app. I like it. It's good. Fun stuff. Yeah. Anything on that before we... uh, Keep trucking. We've got a couple more. We're gonna we're gonna do it. Love those uh, remote, yeah, remote control, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, listener John also back to episode nine thirty two says uh, as I was listening to nine thirty two this morning uh, when you were talking about the magic of the Measure app on the iPhone. He says I immediately thought of iMeasure, a free iPhone app which will help get the correct measure- measurements for ordering prescription progressive glasses from online sellers like, you know, Zenny or Warby or I buy direct or any of those. He says it came in handy for me when I bought frames recently, the prescription I got from my doctor did not include the measurements for the distance between your pupils called the pupillary distance. Uh, He says, which is a required piece of data when ordering. Well, he says when ordering progressive lenses, it's a required piece of data when ordering any lenses, because some frames will put the lenses too far apart and you need to be able to sort of uh, focus it on where your eyes are so that you don't wind up with weird vision issues or headaches. He says, so I downloaded the app and had the measurements as soon as I opened the app, no signing up for an account or any nonsense. And it's called I measure and we will put a link in the show notes. And, and this is one that you're going to want to go to the show notes at MacGeekab.com and click uh, because John shares one word of caution about finding the app if you simply search for iMeasure in the App Store, two apps will come up. One is iMeasure and the other is iMeasure Pupillary Distance. The one just called iMeasure is the one that is free and has a privacy policy that says they collect no data about you. The other one does track you and has a monthly or annual subscription. And we don't want anyone getting caught. Thank you, John, for helping us not get caught. Good, good stuff. Uh, one last cool stuff found I have is Sonos voice. The, um, you know, Sonos for a long time has been making speakers that can either uh, be your a lady or your Google assistant, but they recently added to those voice control. Now, if your speaker is on a lady, it can do both Sonos voice and a lady. If you have it on Google assistant, It can only do Google Assistant or Sonos Voice. So just bear that in mind. But what what's cool about this is, well, a couple of things. Number one, it allows you to do so much more than the voice integration with, uh, you know, with a lady or 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 Google Assistant does uh, specifically regarding what you can do with your speakers. So like the other day I walked into my living room, something was playing in the kitchen and I simply said, hey, Sonos join the living room to the kitchen and boom, instantly the sound was coming out. And that's the other great part of this is not only does it have all of these features that are missing from the other services, 
everything is happening on device. It's not being sent to the cloud. Uh, so there's no privacy issues, but there's also no processing delays. It hears you and it responds on device locally in your house and it is immediate. So makes really all of this stuff really uh, just like instantaneous. And it's been wonderful. I've been super stoked with Sonos voice. So I just wanted to make sure everybody that is a Sonos person knows about this, that that whole on device, you know, locally responsive thing makes a huge, huge difference. And it's on any, any Sonos speaker with a microphone is capable of doing this. And so you can uh, just, you got to go into the app and enable it uh, on your specific speakers, each specific speaker, I should say, and then you're good to go. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome to know about then because yep. I've, I've been using the, it's, I think it's the Sonos one. Yeah. That has the A-Lady built in to start. Yep. Um, and early on those worked, and then I found myself on a network at, at work that had a, uh, a bit of a firewall on it and I could go, Hey, hey lady, what's the latest news? Here's the latest news from AP worldwide. Right. Crickets. Oh, interesting. Well, you're not going to like, this is the, Hey Sonos is only for controlling your speakers. The speaker itself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, it's not for getting it. There, there is no external connection so this is for play pause grouping you know i mean when i say there's no external thing like i can tell it to play a certain song from apple music and it will go and get that from apple music right but the processing of the voice um you know i haven't tried to say hey sonos tell me the news i don't think it's built to do that okay i'd be interested then to see if it if it was but because the other the ancillary to that was my daughter took one of the sonos one to her dorm yeah. and was never able to get it to connect. No, no. What it is that the university has done, but she, she's like, well, because she goes, I really like the speaker, yep. but I could never get it to play my stuff. Now Sonos in dorm rooms is a, is a disaster usually because, and, and may just be a, a non-starter. And that's generally because you need to connect your Sonos directly to the Wi-Fi, right? It's not a Bluetooth. I mean, some of them are Bluetooth right. now, but, but for yeah. the, for that functionality, it needs to be connected to the network. And most college networks require authentication and your Sonos won't do authentication. And also the school might not want you to. The only way I've heard of people doing it at colleges is calling the IT department and having them put in an exception for the MAC address of that speaker. speaker so it doesn't so it gets to bypass the authentication, you know, they'll tie it to your account or whatever, you know, but, uh, and some schools are accommodating for that. And some are definitively not. Now, if your dorm room has an ethernet Jack, some do many don't, you can get a router and plug in your router. And then you could connect Sonos to that, which would be a better way of doing it anyway, because if you connect your Sonos to the, the campus wide Wi-Fi. Well, now every Sonos speaker on that campus-wide Wi-Fi is one Sonos family, and that might not be a good th- unless they VLAN your dorm room or something. Which, like, <laughs> I, I, maybe I don't know. Oh, I can imagine the disaster of that at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. you know, playing in, uh, you know, yeah. wake, wake up to some good grunge at two a.m. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 My favorite is to yeah. wake my kids up early in the morning with Tom Jones. What's new, Pussycat? You know, oh. what's new, Pussycat? Bah, bah, da, da, da. You know, it's, it's, there is a I can't remember the comedian's name. Look for it on Spotify. It's, it's John Mulaney. And, Mulaney. and it right. is the yep. best lunch he ever had. That's where I got yep. the inspiration. Yep. yep. 
Yeah. That was <laughs> John Mulaney, what's new, Pussycat? It's a scream. <laughs> I I am not proud of this, Pete. I guess I'm going to share it anyway. You might have done it. I, I, I may have done this in, in a place that had like um, one of those jukeboxes you can control with your phone. Like you, you, you buy credits or whatever and you control it with your phone. And uh, so we did this and they finally power cycled the jukebox because it was driving them crazy. Appropriately so. And then my son said, well, okay, we shouldn't play that again. He says, do you have any more credits? And I said, yes. And he said, all right, well, now we want to get the most bang for our buck with our credits. He says, see if you can play Rush's 2112, which is an entire album side as one song. And sure enough, 2112 came up and it was like, all right, great. 22 minutes for one credit. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, that's fun. But yeah, yeah, we might have done the John Mulaney thing. Hey, if you there's something you want to listen to and it's not What's New Pussycat on repeat, it is going to be So There I Was, a podcast all about aviation, and it is from our friend and your friend, Pilot Pete. And Fig! So. And Fig, yeah. Fig's yeah. on there. Uh, we're up to six episodes now. Uh, Amazing. Seven's actually been recorded. Six and seven are uh, uh, the same gent who we... Uh, uh, not in a disparaging way. All you had to do was pull his handle once, and he was off to the races. Um, he, he talked for about 95, 100 minutes without coming up for air. Let's have a and party. Was, I love you. There That's you Chatty go. Kathy. There it is. You pull <laughs> yeah. her string. It's good to go. So, um, but a great tour of aviation. Uh, a, fun, a fun listen. And we're going to have him back for more uh, in, in the future, for sure. But oh. uh, yeah, come listen. Uh, so there I was.us. Uh, looks like about 100, 150 people are listening. Uh, Amazing. given show. So. Yeah, you are like right on the cusp of being more popular than 99% of all podcasts. Well, help us out here, MGG listeners. Share go. it with your friends if you're not interested in stupid aviation, stupid pilot tricks and aviation stories. <laughs> Pass it along to a friend who might be. There you go. There you go. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us. John, do you have anything to share? Not at the present time. Okay. Uh, thanks to Cashfly for, for uh, providing all the bandwidth for us. Thanks to Otherworld Computing and the Small Business Show for sponsoring this episode. I know I'm thanking myself there, but, you know, it's okay. It's how it works. Thanks for Pete for uh, managing to figure out how to join us despite all the issues. Yeah, well, and how to keep you to unjoin us in the middle of a question. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's I all good. Hey, it's fine. It happens. Uh, Pete, what advice might you be able to share that's not only relevant for this audience, but also relevant for the audience of So There I Was, the best new aviation podcast on the planet? Well, Unlike what I tried to do earlier today, all I can pass along to you folks is don't get caught. Made up.